As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined, as always, by my friend and colleague, Paul Tenorio. Paul, what's going on, man? I'm I'm in a really good mood, Sam. We we did it. We got the GM survey out to the public. It's yeah. done. It was only a week late. One project done. <laughs> it was only a week late. <laughs> I feel very accomplished. <laughs> it was it was a journey to get there. I stressed out way too much about that story like on Monday. I was like I was like god damn it, this stupid thing's taking so damn long. <laughs> you know what, Sam? There was but a I, moment but it got there. There was a moment this week where I was working on it and we were trying to pare down whatever it was, 50,000 words or whatever we had in the document of all these transcriptions of all these answers. And I, we started to knock out section by section and you know, I was like well, you kept telling me that you were going to do sections like overnight, like after the kids go to bed and you're like, I'm going to write tonight. And then I would wake up the next morning and nothing would, <laughs> nothing new would be in the dock. And I would be like, that what the hell, That is not Paul? true. I did that one night and there wasn't nothing in the dock. I had not written the sections. That's true. But I had dropped in like 25,000 words of transcriptions and at like yeah, 1130 whatever. PM was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> fair enough i guess i don't know it got done it doesn't we got there for for those of you who are wondering what on earth we're talking about paul and i published a story today it was an anonymous survey of 21 executives from different teams around major league soccer just kind of about everything i guess we asked a lot of questions most of these interviews took like 30 to 40 minutes they're pretty long endeavors um but a lot of stuff just kind of standard fare for anonymous gm type surveys that you've probably seen in content for other leagues before so you know who's gonna win mls cup who's gonna win a supporter shield who's the best player best midfielder yada 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 and then kind of you know we sort of did an episode of allocation disorder with them individually and you know one of our colleagues john Mueller, was joking around in our slack channel after this story came out and he was like it would be great if some of these gms started calling into allocation disorder and just like ranting and raving at you guys. And I was like, that would be great. We need to set up that functionality. So Joe, figure that out, okay? 
Yeah, come on, Joe. Can you set up the line where GMs can call in anonymously? <laughs> yeah, and, and do some voice garbling software. Include that as well. Thanks, Joe. And do, th- do this for no money. Thank you, Joe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we published that story today. Uh, but the episode of allocation disorder thing that I was talking about, it's a lot of stuff about roster rules, about the direction of the league, about League's Cup, about how they would set things up, about you know, where they think this is all heading um, and about cheating, Paul. And that was maybe, I don't know if it was newsworthy, but it was probably the most newsworthy of anything in this survey. Just kind of some of the revelations um, and opinions and takes from these people who live and breathe this every single day and what they thought about a lot of this stuff, but particularly, (laughs) particularly the violations um, with the headline, I think, being that everyone says everyone does it, basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it stands out because I, for me, there's when I look back on when the Miami news happened, I think we can all acknowledge that what happened with Matuidi it was, you know, a rarity, right? Outlier. I don't want to say it's an yeah. isolated incident because you and I believe that, you know, Zlatan Listen, Ibrahimovic. Let, let's just say the exactly galaxy have done some things. Yeah. We don't, you know, years. there are examples of this stuff happening yeah. in the past. But I think like no one was saying 100% of the teams are paying Blaise Matuidi $3 million on the side or, or that. But I do think that the other violations that occurred in Miami um, are essentially commonplace around MLS. And this survey confirmed that, right? I mean, this survey confirmed that the, you know, essentially the biggest way to do it is to pay agent fees on the side. Um, and for me, it is an important revelation. It's an important part of the survey because it shows, and, and one GM essentially says it, which is, this is what has to happen in order to get the players into the league. And the most important thing to come out of this survey to me is, there are all these answers from these GMs saying, here are the realities we're dealing with in our jobs day to day to do what the league wants to do. Bring in good players that we can sell on, try to make the the product as good as possible within these crazy rules. And we aren't operating in the bubble of MLS that, that has been created by this paperwork. We're operating in the real world, in the global marketplace. And, you know, there was one quote that was put in there that I don't think was in our actual story, but somebody was talking about, you know, this example of like, if you see a deal done in MLS where someone's getting paid a 5% agent fee and they had a market in Mexico, there's no chance that deal is is real because a Mexican team doesn't have limitations on agent fees. They don't have to worry about staying under 1.612 million, you know, so the player stays TAM or staying under 612,500 in salary you know, with the agent fee cooked into it, right? So there's no way that player would come to MLS for just 5% of their contract. And that's just the reality of the global market. And so that's why I think there was kind of a shrug, collective shrug from the CSOs we spoke to being like, yes, this happens. Because in their mind... It, it has to happen. Yeah, I don't even think, though, I mean, maybe you got a different sense, but the people that I spoke to, I, I didn't think that everyone was doing the agent fee game, which for those who haven't read the piece or who are not no, familiar. not everyone. Not, not even like half. 
I, from the sense I, I, there I were people I spoke to who, who I believe have a pretty good handle on that that did think it was half. Okay, well, I would say it's probably between like a quarter and a half from the the picture I got. So I guess it's not that different from what you from you, what you picked up on. But for those who don't know, it's basically deals have agent fees. MLS has long been kind of tight with agent fees, which have plagued Europe in a lot of cases, but I think it's fair to say. And agent fees um, get tied into acquisition costs. Yes. And so typically when you hear about a marketing payment in an MLS contract, like the agent fee just comes out of that. And so I had one executive tell me a story about a free agent that they were pursuing just this offseason, an MLS free agent. And he was engaging with the agent about a trading offers back and forth and they were close to signing the player. And then the agent's like, okay, well we need our 10% fee on, on top net. And the guy was like, what are you talking about? That's not how we do this. That comes out of that marketing payment. And he's like, well, this is how we did it at the, at the other club. You just put it on your reserve team books. No one, no one's the wiser. And the GM was like, no, that it ain't happening. But, you know, the agent says that and he's thinking to himself, well, I know what that other team's doing, you know? And so there are examples of this and, and a few different GMs cited that kind of agent fee game. Um, but there is smaller scale stuff going on too. And I thought it was kind of interesting, Paul. I had a couple people tell me that they they feel like there's probably some minor violations happening on accident. Right, whether that's housing or a car payment or whatever, where the team doesn't even know or doesn't report it or doesn't even think twice about it, and just carries on with their with their business, and it's not really that big of a deal. So, I mean, there ahead. are rumors. There have always been rumors that we've heard. I've heard at least about one team on part in particular who yeah. is in <laughs> a is in a high end uh, real estate market that has yeah. provided high end housing to many of its players. That you know does not get accounted for on their budget numbers, <laughs> um, and and I think you know there are I think there were when we talk about 100 percent of the teams are cheating, you know we're also talking about discovery claims where you're not supposed to talk to a player until you talk to the team that has the number one discovery rights, and that's obviously not happening. Or you know you're not supposed to speak to a free agent until the off season is officially there. And there are people who are cutting deals with free agents and, you know, before it even happens, that's, that happens everywhere right now in the NFL, yeah. they have a pre tampering, tampering stage, right? Where you're allowed to tamper. Wait, what? Yeah. There's like, it's like, you're not allowed to tamper from X time to X time, but so much tampering was happening in the free agent market. All these contracts were being announced on the first day of free agency that they yeah. created a window of time in which you were legally allowed to tamper before you weren't allowed to tamper. It can't be. You can't legally allow tampering. Tampering, by definition, is illegal. I agree. So I think it's, it's funny either, that that's not, what they you can't, call it. That's an oxymoron. I know. that That's what it's kind of called because everyone's making fun of it, right? They had to create this window because it, so much tampering was happening. And like – you know, th those are things that happen in different leagues is what I'm trying to say. Sure. It's not like just MLS where Everyone's that, those trying types to of rules get broken. But, I mean, I do think it's interesting that, you know, MLS tried to create a rule to police player options, which is when a team can buy – can pay money to essentially reserve the right to buy a player in the future. So that if that player's price goes up because they're playing really well, well, I've already paid you – a million and a half dollars, which is a down payment that I'm reserving the right to be able to buy this player for three million if I do it before, 
you know, 2024. And that was a way that teams were looking at, you know, in the league certainly believed this to get around the cap, right? Like if you buy a player from a team and also happen to buy a player option on that team, that team, that player's teammate at the same team, that's an easy way to have a separate transaction count towards the one that, you know, you're trying to limit on your books. That was one way that was brought up, you know, friendlies against clubs, um, that where payments go back and forth between the two clubs is another way. So, you know, these are things that are being done by, you know, I think we can say pretty clearly, considering 19 of the 21 respondents said somewhere between 15 and 50% or more, there were a couple of people that said more than 50% of the clubs in the league, a not yeah. insignificant number, especially, and for me, it just kind of made me laugh because like Don Garber's statement with the Miami punishment was our, our rules are sacrosanct. And I think later on he said we do not have a problem with this stuff, right? With with like the cheating stuff. I think what this shows is not that there's again. I believe that it's not a problem. I mean, look, your cheating is a problem, but you and I've kind of been advocates about this. It's gray areas. It's gray areas. It's rules that need changes. It's it's you know I I'm going to quote my wife who read the read the story and like. Yes, tangentially. She knows, read the I mean, whole story. She read the whole story. It's incredible. It's like seventy four thousand. She words. wanted to know what I was doing in my last week of paternity leave that was forcing her to take Ben in forty minute <laughs> chunks of time over the course of several days. <laughs> that's Fair. that's what it boils down to. And what she said was, "This feels like this is a, a systemic problem more than it's like a, you know, a team or or cheating problem. Like there's something wrong with the system if everyone's doing this." And I was like. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's a very succinct way to put it. And I think that applies to more than just cheating in MLS. Applies to a lot of our survey, I think. <laughs> it sure does. It's <laughs> a good segue, Paul. <laughs> um, into another thing. And and of course we asked, hey, you know, do the roster rules make sense given where the league is, given where it wants to go? And basically to a person, everyone was like, Nah, they don't. And like I, I think I can't remember exactly what section it was in, but but somebody was like, I think even the league would say that they don't. That was at in that this point. It was like some yeah. of my favorite responses were to that question. Like, do yeah. the rules need to change, or are the rules designed as they are today to really get MLS where it claims it wants to go? Is, is kind of the way we phrase the question. And like, there was always like a either an immediate no, and then a long pause, and then realizing that you know. Can you provide a little bit of context? Or there was a <laughs> long pause. You're not supposed to ask yes or no questions right. in journalism. This is why. <laughs> and then it was like a no. <laughs> not even the league thinks that. You know, it was great. A lot of that happened. Um, and it's a lot. A lot of the things that were said aren't going to be new to people that have been listening to the show. It's a lot of the things that we say all the time. Um, and I wish we could say that. You know, we just had these ideas on our own. Uh, no, we stole them from some of the people that we surveyed, uh, for, for in some cases anyway. <laughs> but that's sort of why I was glad to get this piece out there, because I think there is sort of this wall in MLS and in a lot of sports, really. You don't really know what these people think, right? You have journalists or, or analysts in the media that can write opinion pieces or write analysis pieces and, and, and sort of posit an idea and say, this needs to happen or that needs to happen. And here's why. But when you actually get the people that I hate this word stake, I hate the word stakeholders. Do you hate that word? 
I mean, I hate I, that word. It's I'm mad very, that I like, said it. It's very like, you know, Sports Center hit of you to talk about the league stakeholder. You're, you're I like, just hate you're it. standing in front of the MLB CBA negotiations right now, talking about the stakeholders oh, of the game. You getting flashbacks, by the way? <laughs> yeah, I really am. <laughs> Serious PTSD. I've checked in with my buddy James Wagner from the New York Times a few times to be like, hey, how uh, how you doing? Is he down there? Is he like just standing oh, yeah. outside in oh, Jupiter, yeah. Florida, or He's wherever there. it is? He's oh, there, man. just Living like hanging out in a parking lot for like fourteen hours a day. Yeah, I'm. You know, Paul, we we joked around that we had a bad last time around the MLS CBA negotiations. We didn't have to do that. So no, the first know. time I was in MLS when I first started covering MLS full time again back in Orlando in 2015, there Your were a few town. reporters. There were a few reporters that staked out. The negotiation in D.C. that were standing outside the building where they were negotiating. I was not one of them. I was in Orlando. In, in not, my, uh, not worth it, man. Not wor- that tweet is not worth it. It ain't. No. You wouldn't catch me there. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, what was I talking about? Stakeholders? You're talking about the stakeholders and the wall that exists between those stakeholders yes. and the people. Yes. But I think a lot of times, you know, Paul, we, we are in a privileged position where we get to talk to a lot of these people a lot, like pretty frequently. And so we know what they're thinking. We know what they're talking about. We know kind of what's going on behind the scenes. A lot of times we print it. Sometimes we don't. Um, there are probably a lot more things that we hold on to in this regard than, than that we actually make public. But it was good to sort of tear down that wall a little bit and say, hey, like all of these things that annoy you and me and that annoy the listeners of this show and that annoy your regular M- like avid MLS fan of like, you know, one, one exec said it best. Gam, damn, what the F? (laughs) You know, like it's, they feel the same way that a lot of this stuff is just kind of counterproductive and needless and um, holding things back. And I think it's cool that we're all, we're all fighting the same battle. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just to pull, even if we're losing it. (laughs) To pull the curtain back on this, I mean, I remember how this idea came about, Sam, is that you had written a story right before MLS Cup about some of the major issues facing the league. I think it ran like the day before MLS Cup. And then shortly after MLS Cup, you wrote another story that was kind of similar, similar vibes. Lorenzo and, Insigne, thanks for the news hook. And, Just and, let me reheat this. Yeah. And then you, we were talking, I was on a walk with Ben and we were just, you know, we talked 19,000 times a day. So it was just one of those conversations. And I think you, you, you said, Hey, I have this idea. We should do a GM survey. And I, and I was like, yes, because I had read your stories and I was like, and you said to me, like, I think people are tired of me telling them this stuff and I need to stop writing these same stories over and over again. And then I think I knew that they were yeah. tired. And of I said, well, the problem is who's delivering it. Not that, that you're a problem, Sam, but they think that it's just two annoying allocation <laughs> disorder hosts that ramble yeah. on about the same stuff yeah. all the time. And they're well, right. They we do do that. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I thought, you know, I think the message can become can can be stronger if they hear it from people who are actually working it. We didn't know what the results of this survey would be, but we had an idea of of what the tenor is amongst GMs in this league and and so I just felt like this survey was a was a really good way to communicate to people that it's not just journalists who are annoyed with it. It's not just the voices you hear that there are real frustrations and real day-to-day problems with Major League Soccer rules that actively fight against what the league claims their goals are, that actively fight against bringing the best players to MLS, that actively fight against 
growing into one of the best leagues in the world. And that, you know, a lot of times these CSOs are sitting there saying like, how, how do you expect us to accomplish some of the stuff that you're laying out as the vision of MLS? And there are, as one of the answers in the survey, there are like nine different things that MLS league of choice and this and that and this, if the rules never really truly change to accomplish that. And you know, that there's no real adaptation you just keep stacking more and more rules onto the same structure instead of stopping, taking a deep breath, pulling back and saying, okay, is this really still the way forward for this league? Or has the world of global soccer, global football changed? And has the league changed enough? Has the ownership structure of the league changed enough that maybe we design a new system? Maybe we realize that these ideas don't work anymore or that there are ways to create parameters where all of these ideas that you have can be used or they can't be used that different gms different teams different owners want to do things differently and that's the best way to grow the league and i think we got to a pretty clear consensus of the people who are actually making the rosters and trying to create the product on the field are saying this is not the best way to maximize the resources of this league, whether it's the ownership money, whether it's the intellectual strength of the league, the people who are in it, the ideas that they have, they're all limited by this stuff. The, the desirability of the markets for, for international players, you know, everything that goes along with it. 190,000 people tuned in to the season opener on ESPN. <sighs> they, you have to do something to change the narrative around this league to make it interesting and that you know what we're seeing is like you're not doing enough there's there's not compelling enough the teams aren't good enough and the product isn't good enough to to get people to tune in change is needed and and that was the message throughout this survey and it wasn't like us being like hey you guys need to say this cuz we say it all the time it was here's a question and then you answer like, yes, it was a yes or no question. And it was no, 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 no. The rules don't work anymore. And and that's just the reality. And the other part of this, which is pretty depressing, is that not many people think change is coming in most of these fronts anytime soon. And I'll just read a quote from one of the executives. The clubs that have been around the longest because their investment profile was totally different. They have been involved longer and have a long history of losses, and they can't reconcile that experience with the investment pitch of the last five or six years. So investment pitch of the past five or six years being what the league is sort of the vision that they're presenting to these new expansion teams that are spending $100, $200, 300000000 million on expansion fees. Outside of maybe Minnesota, the quote continues, the majority of expansion teams want to spend. They're saying, the vision you sold me was to spend, and I'm ready. But as we've talked about a million times on this show, those kind of legacy owners, the clubs that have been around the longest, kind of prevent that from happening. I, every year that goes by, though, we're, we're getting closer to a critical mass of that changing. And every new team that comes into the league, you get one vote closer to that changing for the most part. Um, but pretty much no one thinks it'll change before 2026, at least. And this goes into something that wasn't in the survey, but it goes into the TV deal. And I've been having conversations about that with quite a few people over the course of the last week. And people are pretty pessimistic about it at this point in time. Um, 
it doesn't seem like it's going to be that kind of step function in terms in terms of revenue that'll really make MLS kind of hop on that rocket to the moon, so to speak. Uh, it's not going to drive revenue in that kind of way. And I have a question, Paul, and, and maybe this has come up on the show before. I know it's come up. We've been talking. But I do wonder if that ends up being so, if the revenue isn't there, if the league takes that and, and how do they respond? Do they say, oh, crap, this isn't working. We need to change. Do they double down? Do they just continue on? Do they do they even think about it? Or do they just you know stack more rules <laughs> like you were talking about? I don't know that, that MLS – I don't have faith that MLS has the capacity to say – maybe we're doing something wrong. They've not had, there's never been an indication of that yet of maybe we're doing something wrong. Maybe we need to change to your, to your point. Everyone. I would, I would disagree with that. No, but they, they, they they say, they don't say we're doing something wrong. They're saying, let's add something more to the pot. Right. Sure. But like, I mean, they're going to spin it how they spin it. But like Tam, for instance, is an indication that we need better players four through eight on the roster. Sure, right. but it wasn't an indication that they did something wrong. It's just that now we've moved into the portion of our growth where this is possible and we're not hurting the league, right? Sure. Like, well, they're not going to talk about how they, how they sucked, and the, that's why they Well, this would, this would be an acknowledgement, What do you want them right? to do? <laughs> it would be an acknowledgement. They they need – here's my belief. Getting a, a TV deal that is well below their desired number – I don't know if it's how you well define. Below. I don't know how I you mean, define well below, but that it that it could be the equivalent of missing the World Cup in 2018. That there could be a moment of reckoning. I believe that it could be the answer to the chicken or the egg conundrum. That being, owners say we're not going to put more into this league. The question is old as time. Yeah, and that we don't until we have the revenue from the media rights deal and. We're not going to invest more into the on-field product. And the TV networks are saying, until you have a better on-field product that drives more viewers to our networks, we're not going to pay you more. Which one's going to happen first? And I think right now, the networks are holding firm and saying, you put 190,000 people on air for at an ESPN for what, your season what was, opener. What was the Fox rating? I think it was like, four, like 450-ish. 50, 448, something like that. Yeah. So I don't that's know. Big, that's big that's big Fox on a Saturday night when not much else is happening right. on the sports calendar. Yeah, it's not encouraging for sure. Um but I don't know. We we do have more of this survey to break down. Let's let's take a quick break and then we'll come back with some more of that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Allocation Disorder, we are back. 
talking about the big fat anonymous MLS GM sporting director, technical director, sporting person survey that Paul and I published on the athletic on Thursday. Uh, please go read it. If you haven't, it was a, we put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into that thing. Mostly tears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not so much blood or sweat, but a lot of tears. Um, we talked in the first segment kind of about how a lot of these folks that we spoke to are pretty, you know, not exactly unified, but most agree that things need to change when it comes to the roster rules. And I asked a few, I don't have the quotes in front of me and they didn't make it into the final story. This wasn't a survey question, but I asked a few, all of you guys are saying these same things. Why don't you think it changes? And a few were puzzled, a few were kind of like, well, Sam, like you've written about it, you know the answer. Like certain owners control things. And those certain owners maybe don't want to do things how we want to do them. And that's kind of that. So let's dive into that a little bit more. Um, those certain owners, many of them are on the product strategy committee. We've talked about that committee on this show. And from what we know of it, that committee is kind of in charge of all of these rules and regulations. Everything that happens on the field, everything that happens with the MLS roster rules, it kind of goes through them. And that committee is chaired by Clark Hunt, FC Dallas owner, Greg Kerfoot, Vancouver Whitecaps owner. Also includes Adrian Hanauer of Seattle, Merritt Paulson of Portland. Who am I forgetting? Uh, Chris Klein, LA Galaxy president. Larry is on Berg, there. LAFC. I, is he? I there don't, there last... are three or four members of the product yeah. strategy committee who are non-voting, non-voting. members. Yeah. Arthur, are Darren Eels from Atlanta United, um, Larry Berg from LAFC. I believe, I don't know for sure if Chris Klein has a, has vote, a vote, but I believe Andrew's AEG does, yeah. Um, and he's kind of a proxy. And yeah. then... Ferran Soriano, Ferran Soriano uh, from City Football Group yep. and NYCFC. And I believe Red Bull at yes. least had one. Oliver Mitzlaff um, was on, yeah, was on it as well. The head of, head of Red Bull Global Football. Um, so, you know, these are kind of the power players that are deciding things in a lot of ways. And there's also another power player there. Uh, and his name's Todd Durbin. He's the MLS Executive VP of competition and player relations i think i'm remembering that basically he's the guy in charge of the mls player department he's the one that interfaces with all of the cso's and spends a lot of time with them in their cso committee meetings and hears a lot of recommendations from them and maybe takes those recommendations to product strategy committee maybe doesn't no one really knows it's kind of a black box and the GMs certainly think <laughs> that maybe he doesn't take their recommendations too seriously to the product strategy committee. And so a lot of these things that they are pushing for, some of which were talked about in the survey, never get passed and maybe never even get brought up to the owners on those committees or on that committee, which which is interesting. So, Paul, I don't know if I have a very specific question for you here being a bad host, but I know you have something to say. Yeah. I mean, I think there is, I think one, one question we asked that we ended up not putting in the final survey just because it was so obvious that they were going to answer it one way, which is like, should CSOs have more of a say in creating the roster rules with product strategy with Todd Durbin? And of course, all of them said yes, but the reasoning behind it, you know, included more nuance, which is just like, why wouldn't... (laughs) It wasn't just self-serving. Right. Well, it was just like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you have people who have done this in the day-to-day, who have built rosters, who have had success building rosters, who have had to figure out fixes to some of these issues in the room. And I think somebody put it 
I don't know do if we I don't even know if we ended up cutting this out of the survey or not. But somebody said like take Garth Lagerwey as an example. This was, was this was in the survey. Yeah, was was in the league as a player, has been an exec a successful executive in the league. Should he be in the room in the same way Chris Klein is in the room? Yes. It's common sense like yes, of course he should be in the room and should have a say. But he doesn't. And so and I will also say that there were a couple execs I spoke to who felt like the league has tried to have the right makeup in the product strategy committee and that, you know, adding more of a CSO input is kind of more of the thing that would drive things forward rather than, you know, taking power away from product strategy, which isn't going to happen. It's the owners. It's their money. They're going to decide yeah, what to do with it. It's fine. It's or, fine that they're the ones deciding. Right. Like, but it's but their who thing. they're listening to, who's in the room for these discussions is where the change has to happen in their opinion. And I would also note, I think it's notable that the makeup of the product strategy committee has changed without changing. Now, Ferran Soriano has come in, which I think is obviously a big, 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 big spender in Major League Soccer. Um, Not a crazy spender. But they don't need to be crazy spenders because their infrastructure is enormous. They are a multi-club ownership. Sure. There are a lot of different reasons why NYCFC functions I'm not functions saying this happened, but if we were to ask different sporting directors, you know, who they think is bending the rules in certain ways, they might say NYCFC or Red Bull. They might. I don't know if they would be right. NYCFC would definitely contest that. I know that for a fact. But, you know, haters going to hate. But... And again, Darren Eels is representing Atlanta United with no vote. Larry Berg is representing LAFC with no vote. And Adrian Hanauer and Merritt Paulson are no longer the big dogs. They're not in this league. Adrian Hanauer, by the way, former CSO for quite a long time. The only one. But they're they're not the big dogs anymore. They're not representing the interests of the high spenders. It's it's going to be very difficult for Merritt Paulson to keep up in Major League Soccer if Toronto and Atlanta and NYCFC and, you know, Cincinnati and Charlotte and LAFC and LA Galaxy can go and spend as much as they want or have fewer restrictions. So that should be acknowledged too. But, you know, the basic level here is that these CSOs are saying, listen to us more. Give us a chance to tell you what is working on the ground, what is not, what our ideas are to fix it. Not even that you have to do everything we're saying. But we should be in the room more than we are. And the CSO committee concept is like three years old. Sam, we were there for the first meeting on accident. We were getting lunch <laughs> by the pool. I think it was breakfast. I think I don't. Yeah, breakfast. It might have been breakfast. We, yeah, I think so because everyone was super hungover. You could see, and we were sitting <laughs> by the pool, and we look over <laughs> to the other side of the pool, and on the other side of the pool there was a gazebo, and under the gazebo was every CSO in the league, <laughs> and Sam and I were like. What? I think we were waving to What's happening point. over there? I think we <laughs> texted one or two of them like, yo, what are you guys doing? Can we come over? And they were like, absolutely do not come over here. This is the first meeting of the CSO committee or whatever. It was the Illuminati convening. <laughs> we were not and we were like, okay, well, we were here first, so we're not moving. We're just going to watch you guys creep away from a distance. <laughs> but it's not that old because they were like, hey, yeah. we I need to do something. I think that was four or five years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it might have been. I, all of those it had it was to have at been. the Rosen Center in Orlando. Yeah, I think probably 2018, I would say. So I think yeah, somewhere, somewhere around there. But it, the point is, like, that was done just to try to have an organized way to be heard because they felt like they weren't being heard enough. Now they still feel like they're not being heard enough. It's not that hard of an adjustment to make. That's all I'm saying. 
No, it's not. But, you know. And one last I thing, I, I, I will say that the CSOs do acknowledge that when you're in these calls, there are teams who are voting for and against stuff based solely on whether or not they believe their Selfish owner yeah. could do it or would do it or wouldn't do it. And But there was an answer that I thought was good from somebody you spoke to, Sam, that was like, it's very easy to see when things are being voted on by people purely based on whether or not their team would do it or not. You can filter that stuff out easily and take the idea that take the ideas that are best for the league, regardless of what's best for an individual team to product strategy. Like there are ways to make that CSO committee whittle it down to things that really, really should be presented for the, the betterment of the the whole and not just for the better yeah. of the high spenders or better for the low spenders or whatever. Um, and I thought that was an important point because I have heard from CSOs over the years talking to them that, that's one of the things that they've struggled with on these CSO calls is is kind of laughing when when people are advocating for or against something based not on whether the league should do it because it's better for the league, but purely on whether it'll hurt them in, well, in having a competitive It's sort of roster. an interesting dilemma, right? Sure. Because like these guys, get they get hired and fired based on how well their teams perform. Yeah. So they're not exactly incentivized to be like, you know what? This is going to screw me over and make my team worse relative to the competition. But it's good for the league. Right, right, <laughs> right. Like, so I get it. You know, I can't say that I wouldn't do the same thing. I don't know. Maybe I would. Maybe I wouldn't. But, um, Paul, moving on, and and I think we can get a little bit more into the sort of nuts and bolts, um, section of the piece. The more like pick a player, pick a coach sort of deal, um, in this topic in this segment. But was there anything in the survey that really stood out or surprised you? Yeah, I mean, from the from like the fun stuff. I think Christian Roldan being one of the more popular picks. They love that guy, man. They love they love Christian Roldan. And I, I have to go back right? and look I at get it. the I get answers it. of the people who said Roldan, but the ones I remember saying Roldan, it's 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 an indication of the GMs who understand value in major league soccer specifically. Right? It's like he's a domestic player, doesn't count count against your international status. He can play multiple positions. He's on a manageable budget number. He's not on a cheap number. He no. makes like nine hundred thousand, but it's a it's not a DP level. It's mid TAM, yeah, yeah. And he, and then you have all the other intangibles that they talk about. He's he's a winner. He's a good guy. He's a locker room leader. You know, he. There was one person who was saying, talking about his ability to sniff out exactly what a game needs and, and deliver that for the Sounders. I like that club. Um, but. You know, I, that kind of surprised me just how popular it was. Like when I got rolled on the first answer, it was the quote of the person talking about being able to sniff out what was needed in a game. And I was like, okay, like I, I understood why this specific person was saying that. And then I, I kind of was surprised that, you know, the next person said it and then the next person said it. And then when I was looking at your respondents, like more people were saying it. So that one stood out to me. And the other one was that Bob, no one voted for Bob Bradley for best coach in MLS. Yeah. That was very surprising to me. It was surprising in many ways, but it was also not in others. Um, and I think it's the same thing that we saw at the end with LAFC. And I think we are, sort of have a tainted jury pool here, by the way. I think if we asked coaches who the best coach in MLS was, Bob Bradley would have gotten a lot more votes. Um, but, you know, like, I don't think it's any secret that Bob Bradley is an intense guy. And he wants things done a very specific way. He's exacting. It's part of what makes him such a great coach, right? 
but it also makes makes it so that he doesn't have a super long shelf life at places. It, it means that you know demanding, exacting people aren't the easiest in the world to work with all of the time, and that's true for CSOs. And I think that's a big part of the reason why Bob Bradley left LAFC and why they didn't push hard to renew his contract or maybe push at all to renew his contract when it was expiring at the end of last year. And so I think a lot of the other CSOs sort of looked at that situation and said, man, I don't know if I would want to deal with that necessarily because everyone wants to be in control, right? That's the thing. The coaches want to be in control. The CSOs want to be in control. We want to be in control. And if you're not, then you're like, well, who's keeping me out of control? And so I think that was part of it with this one with Bob Bradley. Um, Did you have anything that stood out to you that surprised you? Or yeah, answers a, that you were like, quite those a few are things. awful answers. Oh, yeah. Um, I'll get to those in a sec. Um, Lorenzo Insigne only getting two votes for most talented player in MLS. I, I guess he's technically not in MLS yet, which is maybe why he only got two of those votes. Um, you know, Vela ended up winning that category, but it took like seven people for him to get an answer. And actually the first person that responded Vela, I was like, you're not going to believe this. And and they were like, what? And I was like, you're the first person that said Vela. He was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> He's like, did everyone, did everyone else forget about him? What are you talking about in the first person? Um, so, so that one stood out. Um, I'm trying to think of other things that, that really jumped out at me. Uh, the rolled on one did as well. Um, I wasn't really surprised that Walker Zimmerman ran away with defender. And got a lot of votes for player that that you know you would start your team with if you could choose anyone for a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned about Roldan. Um, but I thought it was notable all yeah. the same. Well, you don't you don't waste DP spots really on center backs in this league for the most part. I mean, there are exceptions. Salcedo's a DP. You know, Liam Ridgewell came as a DP. It happens. Well, Omar I mean, Gonzalez was a DP. Well, maybe it's starting to happen more. There were two signed this offseason, Salcedo and Tiago Martins. Right. It's beginning and, to and, occur, but it's And just- you know what, Paul? I'll just say it. Like we've heard from multiple sources that Walker Zimmerman's looking for a DP deal himself. And back to back defender of the year. He already makes a lot of money. Um, but why not make it a little bit more? Um so you know But that's part maybe, of I think his value there. though, right? Is that he's a non DP who plays at DP levels, right? For his sure. position. Sure. So yeah. when you're building your team, you have a domestic center back who is paid underpaid compared to like their production, two time defender of the year. I that that's why it's that Sam, there was one thing I thought was interesting, the the interpretation of which ownership group holds the sporting side of their club back the most. I thought there was an obvious winner here and they ended up winning, San Jose. I thought there were a couple teams that should have had more votes than they did in Colorado and FC Dallas. Dallas, I think, was helped by the fact that they finally started to spend some of their money this offseason with Alan Velasco and, you know, even trading for Areola. Like, they're, they're starting to look like they're reinvesting funds, and that probably helped them. But there were some CSOs who spoke specifically about ownership groups who are who are interfering in the activities of their sporting departments and whose interference is holding back their team. And you saw that with... Inter Miami getting three votes, and you, you, we had a quote from one of your interviews, I believe, that said, "If you're talking about owners whose actions actively hurt their team, it's probably Miami." Portland Timbers got two votes. Yeah, that one was strange to me, a little, because Merritt Paulson is very involved in the Portland Timbers, and maybe some people don't like that idea. But that's what of it is. Working Sam. for a guy like that, but they've 
but it hasn't prevented them from being successful no, it on the on the field at least. Um, yeah, FC that, Cincinnati I'm, got one, even though they spent a lot of money because Jeff Birding is technically an owner. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. That's not nice. But it was Paul, a good why'd answer. You, why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? Um, I thought it was interesting in the best move of the off season that. DC trading Paul Ariola for $2 million and Dallas trading for Paul Ariola for $2 million both got a vote. Like the, the exact yeah, opposite. Was, that move. was interesting for sure. Uh, and maybe they both won that trade. Maybe it was, it was good business for both. You can have one. Yeah. Mutually beneficial. Da- Dallas was very involved in that category, by the way. Velasco got a few votes and selling Pepe got a vote as well, which, you know, given his start, it looks like they sold him for, at the right time for a good price. Um, a lot of that could change, of course. But yeah, that stood out. And then uh, Hassani Dotson is the player that you would start your MLS team with if you could choose any. No disrespect to Hassani Dotson. Good player, solid player, all that. But that one, I was like, okay. That's, <laughs> that seems like a little bit of a stretch. But, to be um, fair, and, we asked these people like forty questions, so they yeah, were just and, getting and some of them are on the spot, and yeah, so it is that is a good point. I can't believe I've made it this far. Best value contract in the league, new who man, my, my guy. Man. Our editors thought that it was fake that you had pressured people into answering new who. Maybe I did, and you probably did. I'll never tell. Two sounders in the top three. Nine hundred thousand dollar Christian Sounders Aldana, got a Sounders got a lot of love in this survey. Yeah, they did. The well, unsurprisingly. Yeah, it turns out they win a lot. Who knows? Um, so yeah, those are those are a few of the things that stood out to me. But one of the cool things about doing this poll, and this is kind of inside baseball, but I was talking about tearing down that wall earlier. But like I think it's natural for reporters sometimes to lean on the same people over and over again, especially for things like these. And, you know, you try and expand your network, of course, and you try and talk to as many people as possible, but everyone falls into their familiar patterns. Um, and so this, like, getting out and talking to more people about these issues that we spend a lot of time talking about with some people and with each other uh, was refreshing for me as a uh, as a reporter. Yeah, we, we kind of divvied up the league so we didn't call the same people, and I think we both went into the divvying up pick trying to pick people that we don't. We we had a draft. I wasn't sure about. We, we actually draft. dra- we we drafted. Um, and we had a draft. I, you know, I was picking people based <laughs> on guys who I haven't spoken with ever, or who I would like to get to know, and um, or who I hadn't talked to in a while. And you know, yeah, because you get there's satisfaction in kind of hearing different opinions and and um, learning how somebody thinks, and it gives yeah. you some insight into how they run their teams and why they do what they do. And you know, you get a chance sometimes if you had. A little bit of time at the beginning um, to, to get to know each other better, to talk about other things. For me, there were multiple occasions when I was like ignoring Ben crying and being like, I'm so sorry, but we, we have like eight more questions. We need to roll through this thing. <laughs> um, but, you know, for the most part, it was, <laughs> it was a really cool experience because also like we knew what other answers were, but they didn't. And... That was neat just to hear the moments where consensus was forming. Did, did you have anyone ask you what other people were saying? Yeah, of course. Like sometimes, especially with the on, it happened more on the on the spot stuff 
than it yeah. did with like the nuanced stuff. When it came to the yeah, nuanced stuff, 100%. everyone had their opinions. Everyone wanted to talk about it. But when they were like on the spot trying to think of the best value contract in the league and they couldn't think of it, they're like, well, what are other people saying? You know, and, and sometimes I would give names and sometimes I would say, well, you know, it's interesting because other, some people think of guys as value that are making high six figures and other people think of value as guys who are making senior minimums. And, you know, that would kind of spark ideas in their head that they didn't have to just think of a guy making 85,000 sure. as value. I mean, Maxi Morales got a vote for underrated. Yeah. I actually really liked it. I was on that phone call and he, the guy was like, can I pick Maxi Morales? And I was like, yeah, you can. He's one of the best, best attacking players in the league and he doesn't really get the love. Um, for whatever reason, people were people were Jones Jonin on a on a, Jonin. Jonin Jonin. Is that the right thing I wanted to say? Later, Jobin. <laughs> yeah. They were they were making fun of 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 CSOs who picked Pep Guardiola as a keeping it somewhat realistic. Who is the best manager currently? Yeah. Brody won in MLS. Yeah, and all three of the people who said that I, I believe were like, well, he's City Football Group, and there's rumors that he's going to go to NYCFC. So if that's true, I want to see that. I just want to give an excuse yeah. to the three people who who picked Pep. Yeah, keep carrying their water. Paul. I don't know if I can, you know, give an excuse for like Antonio Conte. Um, I I got Antonio. So the person I was speaking to, the uh, I was like, I was like, I said, keep it realistic. <laughs> I pressed them after they said Antonio Conte, and the guy doubled down. He's like, no. He's like, MLS is at the point now. You throw enough money at a guy, they'll come. I was like, all right, if you think so, I don't really know if I agree, but if you think so, that's fine. You know, I also want to point out that this can be this can be useful for people. We just went through a hiring cycle and, you know, there were there was a lot of talk of like are there great candidates out there or not. I thought, you know, the fact that that nine of the votes went to two people about who the, who's the next assistant to get a head coaching job. Yeah. I'm guessing Dave Vandenberg and Carrie Savagnin are going to get more calls in this next hiring cycle than they maybe would have before. I, I, you know, considering how this went, this survey. Yeah. Send us a gift basket. It, it was Dave it, Vandenberg and Carrie Savagnin. It was notable to me <laughs> when that happened because it, it consensus didn't have to form. We saw that in some categories where 16 different people were picked for certain yeah. categories. And so I give, you know, I think it's, it shows the respect that those guys have across the league, which is, which was interesting to me. Yeah, for sure. Last one, and then we'll take a break, and then we'll come back after with some non-survey talk. Um, but the last thing, the thing that we ended on with all of our calls was, where do you think MLS ranks in the world right now? Where do you think it'll rank in five years? And most of the answers fell somewhere in like the 8 to 12 range. I would say probably most even fell in like the 10 to 12 range, at least from my conversations. Um, but it was sort of interesting how they thought about it. You know, obviously you have your big five leagues in Europe that MLS isn't touching. Um, and then you have Mexico, not necessarily at six, but very clearly a league that MLS is not ahead of at this point. I think most people put Brazil ahead of MLS. I think a lot of people put Argentina ahead of MLS. But then you sort of get into this weird space where you have, say, Holland, right? And a lot of CSOs that I spoke to were like, well, yeah, if we put an MLS team in Holland, would they win? No, like IX and PSV are going to be better than them, like every time almost. But if they're playing a bottom table team or a mid table team, they'll be right there, right? Same sort of thing with championship in England, I would say, for the most part, right? Like MLS teams with the bottom and the middle, even towards the top of the championship, yeah, they can compete. 
can they, do they have the depth to do that over the course of a 46 game season that the championship plays? Maybe not. But I think the real interesting part, Paul, was the follow-up, which is where do you think it'll be in five years? In February, March, 2027, after the 2026 World Cup. And what did you take away from that, from those responses? Well, I think a lot of people believe that MLS needs to take advantage of 2026, that they need to be right there behind the top five leagues. They're going to have the eyes on this country. The, the sport's going to have this huge, huge, huge moment where I was talking to Meg Linehan about it today in regards to the U.S. soccer presidential election. You are going to have people exposed to the game, to the sport who would never otherwise be exposed. You're going to have football stadiums full of casual sports fans who are going to a World Cup game. Just like you did in 1994, which started a league. Just like you did in 1999, which started a league. And you're going to have it again now. And you have to take advantage of it to take a big jump. Because you otherwise won't have a big jump moment. You're going to have incremental growth. And a lot of people we we talked to said, we have to be number six. We have to take advantage of that opportunity to make a big jump. And I thought that was, was an interesting perspective. So we had a lot of people that said that, but we also had a lot of people, and this didn't get in the story, that were like, yeah, I don't even think we're going to like be seven, eight. Like I think we'll be like maybe we'll move up one or two spots because the gap between 10 and six is big. Massive. There were a lot of people who felt like maybe we'll pass Mexico. Maybe. Right. Yeah. You know? A lot of people did not feel that right. way. Right. <laughs> yeah. So. By the way, anyway. Mexico wants to jump in 2026 too. Let's not forget. Yeah. And Canada. We can't forget Canada and the Canadian Premier League. Forge FC. Before we Till move I on die. from the survey, I think we the we, we need <laughs> no the the Hamtown. We need to discuss <laughs> one question, which is the most annoying the MLS rule. This is, after all, allocation oh. disorder. Oh. Our, allocation our favorite order. allocation order only got one single vote. This is a little. I was a little disappointed. I was a little disappointed, but you know, maybe it's because the perception around the allocation order has been changed by allocation disorder. And Sam, you know what I thought today is? Yeah, I thought we should have asked at the end of the survey, <laughs> just it. as a joke, "What's your favorite podcast?" And then just no matter what the results were, put like a table that just said, "Paul, I was talking to an MLS front office employee today, not for the survey. <laughs> Guy I haven't spoken to in years." And he was like, yeah, well, you know, when you guys talk about this on the podcast. And I was like, hold on. <laughs> I was like, you listen to Allocation Disorder? He was like, yeah, every week. I was like, stop it. And this is my reaction anytime anyone tells me they listen to this show. So presumably there are some of you out there and, you know, we'll see. Person who I'm talking about, you know who you are. If you made it this far, send me a text. This is a little test. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> Anyways, discovery list, most annoying MLS rule. Had a nice chunk, eight votes. Yes, um, yes, understandably so. What was your favorite response in that category? Because I got a few, I thought, kind of interesting ones. I liked. I think mine was the the twelve, the DPs count for twelve and a half of the overall salary budget, and the reasoning that was given to me was just because, like, just because it's so random, and I don't know if it's based on anything. It's arbitrary. Basically, they took. I I believe what happened was sometime back in the day when they when David Beckham was coming. Todd Durbin and the people in the player department at the time, probably Lino DiColo, whoever else was there, said, okay, how much is a player like David Beckham worth on a salary budget? Okay, there's 20 people on the senior roster. This is my this is my theory. There's 20 players on the senior roster, so each of them are worth 5% of a, you know, I in a, in a 
kind of basic formula. And a sure. DP is worth two and a half divided by twenty. A normal player, two and a half x a normal player, and then you get to twelve and a half percent. So if you have three DPs, you have seven and a half players. I mean, you have that's fifteen and a half out of an eleven. It's very, that's pretty very, incredible. very valuable. When you think of it like what? that, it's amazing. That also that doesn't MLS make sense. I'm talking about two and a half players. Yeah, well, oh, you're two, talking about with the other players three. on the field. Don't make me do math. No, because when you have DPs, you lose. You also have to lose on players, right? Oh, okay. So you have less than one players that are starting as well. Yeah. Have you watched MLS? Wow, that was rude. That was real mean. Take it back. I do take it back. All right. Let's Everyone in MLS break. is one player. One player. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder, final segment of the show. We've talked a lot about this survey. And Paul, I said that this segment wasn't going to be about the survey. And it's not, but I'm going to lead into it with the survey. And how I'm going to do that, you might be wondering to yourself right now. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, when when I asked the best off-season question to the people that I was surveying, at that point in time, some of them, the Hector Herrera reports had surfaced. And it wasn't done yet. And this week, it got done. He isn't going to be joining the Houston Dynamo as a designated player in the summer from Atletico Madrid. Um, Mexican national team leader, star, Huge name, excellent player. And a couple of the people that I was surveying said, well, if Herrera, if Houston ends up getting Herrera, it's them. They have the best offseason. And I thought that was pretty uh, telling in terms of the the scope and the scale and the potential impact of this move. Um, I love it. Just as kind of like a statement for the Dynamo in this new era under new owner Ted Siegel. But what do you think of it? You did some reporting on it as well. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I think there's been a really clear mandate, not even a mandate, just a mission by Pat Onstad to come in and say, we are going to connect with the Mexican and Mexican-American community in Houston. And we are going to activate this part of the fan base that's never truly been activated. I think Felipe put, I think Hector Herrera is the third Mexican player to play for the Houston Dynamo. Wow. Can you name the other two? Kubo Torres. Yeah. And the other one, no, I can't name. It was in our Slack earlier. It's today, Luis Angel Landin, one there of the original go. DPs in MLS. So he wasn't very good. And and Pat Onsad <laughs> said, "We're a five-hour drive from Monterrey. Like that is like unacceptable." I mean, we... they they had their affiliate team, Rio Grande Valley. Like it's on the border, right? You know. So, you know, for me, it's it's a really important signal 
that we are going to take advantage of this market in ways that it wasn't, you know, was, was, I don't want to say ignored, but certainly wasn't maximized. Neglected. It was neglected. neglected. It, it wasn't, it wasn't being used to their advantage the way it could be. And a player like Hector Herrera, he has a, a status, not just in the community, but, you know, and Pat Onsad said this in his press conference, but it helps recruit other players. Yeah. Um, it helps raise the standard within yeah, the team. A hundred percent. And that there was another MLS team that I know was interested in Hector Herrera. Um, and they obviously they didn't end up signing him because he went to Houston. It's because the they, they didn't have his discovery rights. The clearly. Dis- yeah. The discussion around that player at the time, it was a big part of it for that team was, was the presence that he brings into your team. This idea that the standard has to be at a certain place or he will get in your face and he will demand more. At the at the training field, on the game field, in the locker room, and and so that's a, a really important player for Houston to have to build around. I love I love the move. I love the move. Me too. Uh, does it change your kind of uh, overall expectations for the Dynamo in a meaningful way this year? They, they still aren't a playoff team, right? No, no, no. It doesn't because it's it's too late for him to come in and really change everything. And I, I like the I, I think the West is is like a toss up in the sense of like a lot of teams are really close together. But there are some good good teams in the West. I, I think they need a little bit more time to build. Um, but what a way to to really, I don't want to say start, but to to really make an impression and, and announce yourselves. Yeah, and, and let's not forget Pat Onstead was hired late in the game, November first, uh, I believe, was his first day. So not late in the game in terms of the off season, but in terms of like actually identifying targets and starting conversations and being able to make big signings. Uh, it's not a lot of runway, so. Kudos to the Dynamo for getting it done. Ache Ache in H Town. Triple H, man. Triple Ache. We're making it a thing. <laughs> I'm making it a thing. Paul's not supporting me. Just shaking my head over here. Well, you know what? Speaking of shaking your head, <laughs> uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation is having a presidential election this weekend. <laughs> uh, Cindy Parlo Cohn is, is running. Um, Carlos Codero, former president, also running. Um, I admittedly have not paid much attention to this. Meg has done a really nice job of covering it. Steph Yang as well. And uh, I've, you know, said, Paul, welcome back. You you take this one. So go ahead <laughs> well, and take I recorded it. Explain a, it. I recorded a whole podcast with Meg about it today. So I, what I would say is go listen to that podcast. We spoke for a long time. About <laughs> Stop listening to this one right now. Yeah, go we are, we're ending this podcast show is so over. that you can go listen to that one. But I will say that I'm just being very careful what I say about the AGM because last year I thought the AGM was going to be uneventful. Can you explain what AGM is, Paul? The annual general meeting of the stakeholders, as Sam likes to say, of U.S. Soccer Federation. This year it's in Atlanta. Um, last year I thought it was going to be a very chill AGM. A- it was not. The ATL GM. The ATL AGM. That's like a new MLS expansion team. What's harder to say and remember, ATLAGM or STLCFC? Well, which one has a city that's all caps? Yeah. Not enough has been made of this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Just like a brief aside here. Their official name that they put in all of their press releases is St. Louis City SC. They all caps the city. And I don't know why. Why do they... Somebody told Stop. them that city matters in like branding. That's what Why happened. Why are they yelling at me in every email I get? I don't want to be yelled. At. Oh, you know what? They signed a DP today. Yeah, 
I think he's got four Bundesliga games, like four loans, and uh, a DP contract from St. Louis City. Sounds great. I'm sure they'll pop up in our survey next year. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, the AGM. <laughs> yeah. Um, pay attention, U.S. Soccer. This matters because Cindy Parlocone, I think, has done a good job. I think we we've seen the support gathered behind her from a lot of people in U.S. Soccer, the professional levels. Um, you know, they they signed a new TV deal. Uh, it looks like they're going to make more money on their media rights deal than they have ever in the past before. Once the Spanish language deal, they they agreed to a settlement with the women's national team pending the CBA. Um, and yet she's facing a challenge from Carlos Cordero, who was the president when things started to go wrong at U.S. Re- soccer. Well, resigned, I don't want to say started to. Resigned was, in disgrace. Went wrong badly when he was in charge. He resigned in disgrace because of the lawsuit and the language in the lawsuit in which U.S. soccer was contending that women couldn't be equal to men because of, I don't know, because they don't test equally to men on the athletic fields strength-wise or speed-wise or whatever it was. It was an abomination, and uh, he resigned, and now he's back because the state associations feel like they were neglected uh, and have been neglected compared to the professional side. And you have to remember U.S. soccer covers a lot of different things beyond the national teams. They have referee education, coaching education, youth soccer, amateur soccer, all of those things. And so the AGM is always a really – good reminder of the different people who you know who are involved in the sport in this country and not always in a good way um but certainly it's 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 interesting that carlos codera is back in the picture and and we'll see what happens on do, do Saturday. you think do you think he has a chance of winning i think at the when he first came into it i thought yes i don't i thought he would not come back into the race unless he had a clear path to victory but I think the change in <laughs> that's a very political reporter very very phrase. political reporting well you know this is very political. And and now I think that there's been a consolidation of power that's starting to form behind Cindy Parlo Cohn. The Athletes Council has a bit more power than they did in the past because of the changes that were enacted by Congress um, in the wake of the USA gymnastics scandal. Um, and so I, I think he has a, a tough, tough path. But like I said before, I don't want to say anything that will put anything into the universe about like incredible dramatic fireworks coming out of the AGM on the weekend, because I would like to go watch Chicago fire and Orlando city play and have already. Oh written my, my God. Story. I'm going to a game this week. Fire Orlando. Yeah, this is the Tenorio bowl. We just need DC United to show up and we're good. Wow. A little three way, a menage MLS. <laughs> <laughs> This is what happens when our show goes over an hour. It just goes off the rails completely. On that note, this has been Allocation Disorder, brought to you this week by stakeholders. I'm Sam Stasekel. He's Paul Tenorio. Thanks for listening.